And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Our guest today is recently retired United States Air Force fighter pilot and author of Icarus 2.0, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Smith. During a night training mission over the Gulf of Mexico, he found himself unable to orient his F-16 and had to eject while in what is called a death spiral. With less than one second left to live, Immediately after his accident, he put pen to paper to ensure that the lessons he learned about guidance and course correction could be a guide to his children and many others about life as they navigate the challenges of life. Few survived what he survived. Survival became his opportunity to give back lessons learned on how to deal with uncertainties and the imperfections of life. Peter, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service for me and the citizens of this country, and welcome to The Mentors. Oh, thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. So let's get started with a concept that you talk about in your book. It's called the Swiss hole concept. What is that all about? Oh, that's the Swiss cheese uh, concept. The idea behind that is uh, it's mainly a safety model. And we talk about that. The reason I brought that up is to frame the lessons learned inside a story. And so the Swiss cheese model is sort of a, a way to describe kind of the elements that led up to my my incident that day um, in terms of what we normally do when we talk about the Swiss cheese model, which is James Reeson's model, is you anytime that the beginning of when you're going to conduct an activity or a mission, you have the from briefing to, to the debriefing. Well, you have the briefing and then you have the execution and then you have the debriefing afterwards. So um, the James Reeson's model is a model for accident prevention, basically. And the idea being what we want to do is uh, prevent elements of the execution of a complex type activity to lead to an incident um, at the end of the mission or during the mission or any element of, uh, of the mission. So the idea is you, if you can just imagine a Swiss cheese and all the holes in it, the holes are the threats, the possibilities of things going wrong in an activity. And so the idea is when you're conducting a mission, understanding what those threats are and then setting up traps like uh, wingman consideration or understanding the environmentals or understanding the uh, what tactics that we're going to use that day or what kind of threats that are prevalent in terms of AAA or, or SAMs or that kind of thing. And you go through that and you establish what we call traps and make sure that you've kind of considered all of the all the threats and set up an appropriate trap for them so that they don't lead to an incident or accident that's what the james reason model is all about in a nutshell so let's go to the accident and then you can point out some of the swiss holes okay so essentially that day was a normal day but i had this great opportunity i was flying twice that day as red air and and we had recently i mean taiwan is is a is a known uh, is is one of the elements of national defense that we are always trying to prepare for. And that's what we call the Taiwan Strait. Uh, um, and that day I thought, oh, hey, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and perfect the defensive maneuver. I get to practice it during the day. Uh, and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll take that, that whatever, I, whatever mistakes I made, or if I didn't get it right the first time, I'll, I'll go and fly at night and, and perfect it in the evening time, just in case I ever had to perform them the uh the the maneuver which is a three dash one tactical maneuver at night uh that was kind of my thinking at the time uh that the accident happened so so essentially that night the swiss cheese holds the line so you have a daytime mission where i performed it going into a nighttime mission but what happened there the elements of the swiss cheese was i'm taking a sort of negatively transferring daytime performance into a nighttime performance of the same mission now, the elements that go into this are pretty complex in nature, and I've explained them more in depth in the book, but 
uh, I'll, I'll just try and pile it on here. You have negative transfer from a day to a night where the environmentals are slightly different. And then uh, one thing I didn't consider or set an appropriate trap for that night was um, we normally perform our air to air missions in a configured airplane uh, with wing tanks and missiles. And uh, obviously they're dumb missiles. They don't, they don't go anywhere, but um we we fly in the configuration for their evening mission uh i was given a clean jet with no missiles and no wing tanks so uh an f-16 that's clean is a very slick machine and a very little drag um and that doesn't give you the normal cues in that type of mission that you're used to vibrations noise the kind of things that give you some cues physiologically that you know you're going really fast when you shouldn't be or that kind of thing. So that was one of the elements the switches I had to prepare for. The other element was the uh, moon illumination and night vision goggles. Now, normally we practice that and, uh, and, and we're aware of that and we talk about it. But I was also over the water that night and we talk about good moon illumination and, and Millilux and there gets into some complexities there. And that night was a very well-lit night, good cultural lighting off the coast, that kind of thing. And um, the so the visuals were good. Well, night vision goggles tend to give you a false sense of security. And I didn't really consider that tra a good trap for that as well, because the night vision goggles really help with the night elements and perfecting it. So I don't want to get bogged down too much in it. If you have any more questions here, I'll, I'll let you jump in in terms of how this is lining up. So I've given you a few threats there. And the, the primary ones are going to be the environmentals, the difference in configuration, and the, uh, the, uh, the visuals and the environmentals uh, differences between night and day. Those I did not properly set some traps for on this particular night mission. Uh, which led to some, uh, you know, a bad outcome. So when you say set some traps, give me one example of how you would have done something differently. Well, what, one thing that could have done differently is recognize, first of all, that the jet is clean, so I can perform that jet much better than I would a dirty jet. So I'm going to have three Gs, approximately three Gs more performance capability, which I didn't consider uh, that effect on me in performing the mission, uh, the, the particular maneuver. So it's a a, lot, a better performing jet, and the fact that I wasn't going to get um, a, uh, the vibrations, the normal, the normal cues that I'm going fast uh, in this airplane when I shouldn't be, uh, are, are not going to be there. The other one was the night vision goggles to understand that, okay, I'm over the water that night. They're still, even though I have night vision goggles and it's a well-illumed uh, night mission, I need to be careful because that night we had low cirrus clouds also over the water. And with that high G maneuvering, it's very easy to turn the ocean into a sky, essentially. And so that I probably should have limited my maneuver to a less aggressive maneuver. Well, when we, when we come back, we're going to then go back and talk about what happened with all of these uh, holes and traps and everything. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be right back with former F-16 pilot and combat veteran Peter Smith. We're talking about lessons learned when dealing with the uncertainties and imperfections of life, lessons he learned directly while trying to navigate spatial disorientation in an F-16 traveling at 400 miles per hour in a death spiral. You can go to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on past shows to find many of our great past guests. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of bulletproof founder Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus, like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. 
With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Naur. I'm a certified business and life coach, helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance 6, money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to Balance 6, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel, and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Back. This is Tom Lawyer. Our guest mentor today is Peter, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Smith, a former U.S. Air Force Reserve fighter pilot and combat veteran. Today, we're discussing what Peter feels are the three key virtues and seven habits that saved him from the crash of his F-16 over the Gulf of Mexico. Remember, you can also listen to this show or any previous show via podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device at any time. Subscribe at TheMentorsRadio.com. Okay, so now we've talked about the challenges, the holes in the cheese, and now you're going to take off. Tell us what happened, what you got up into the air uh, with a focus on uh, all of a sudden you realized things were hitting the fan. Yeah. Okay. So the, the elements that led up to it was, first of all, our blue air, uh, we were simulating red air, which is the bad guys. They were a little bit uh, late to the fight. So um, we were trying to, we were kind of running out of gas. So we, my flight lead at the time had to modify our maneuver. Originally, we would never even be talking now because my original maneuver wasn't going to allow me to practice this, that my flight lead had, uh, had, had asked me to do. But the modification now gave me the opportunity to practice exactly what I had practiced earlier in the day. So here we go. So the opportunity presented itself. I assessed the situation as a good horizon and the ability to execute the maneuver. And starting around 24,000 feet, but I can't get into too many details about the numbers, but I'll just go over the, the, the whole the, the whole scenario when they did show up i was the lead jet out front and i executed the maneuver starting at twenty four thousand feet it's kind of an aggressive descending maneuver um and, and it involves some heading change uh and that heading change the first one of the first holes that'll really start to align here is well we already talked about the performance which was increased we already talked about the night visuals environmentals how the sea can become sky and how the clouds can also give you a false horizon as well that I didn't quite bring into my cross check well enough and understand uh, how it could have affected this maneuver, particularly because I was lulled into a false sense of security in terms of the fact that I had a great horizon and I could see the cultural lighting off the coast. So I executed the maneuver and I executed it to the West, which was a poor choice at night because that was also towards the Gulf, which was pretty black and that's where the clouds were and when we started the descent when we started the, i started the descent um essentially what happened is i sort of transferred my horizon we think to the clouds off the ocean so i completed this maneuver and i started uh to to transition to what we call my original safety block to my next safety block which was the 10 to fourteen thousand feet range well, an interesting thing happened because I'm so used to doing these maneuvers and I had this perfect visual of a 30 degree pop nose low. I was very comfortable and I started setting up for my next maneuver, which I was looking at my radar and looking at my situation data display and passing around 18,000, rapidly approaching 17,000, looking through the HUD, I heard the audible hum of the canopy, which was an indication that I'm going much 
after that I'm supposed to be going. And that's when I cued into something's not quite right. Well, instinctively, I pulled back on the stick and and I came back. My my cross check came from my radar and my situation data display back to the HUD uh, heads up display. And I started looking outside. Well, my original picture now has changed to a pure pitch black contrast. And of course, I go, uh, I'm, I'm confused. I'm like, what, what's going on here? I just had a great horizon. So essentially, that cued me into take a look from where I just came from to determine whether or not, you know, where is my, uh, where is my horizon? So that look to the right, based on my speed and attitude at the time, essentially rolled me inverted. And I rolled inverted, and I was basically looking at the ocean versus where I thought I was looking at, which was on the horizon. And now I had a couple of seconds to get back into my block, which was 10 to 14 as I was descending, I came back to the HUD where I discovered I was passing 13,000 feet. I needed to level off, but of course now leveling off, I'm inverted. And if anybody can understand or, or is in aviation, now I'm inverted thinking I'm trying to pull up. Now I'm actually pulling and making the problem even worse. I'm pulling towards the earth. And that is when I knew something started was very wrong. And I, started to get to my instruments. Now, do you have any questions up until this point? Because now we're going to get into the instruments. And the first known quantity of me being completely disoriented. Well, let me just do a reset. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. I'm with former USA, U.S. Air Force fighter pilot and author of Carious 2.0, Lieutenant Peter Smith. Go on, let's get into it. Okay, so as soon as I recognize now that I'm spatially disoriented and I'm not flying the picture that I thought I was flying, I immediately went to the way we're trained, recognize, confirm, and recover. And we're supposed to do that off the round dials. That's what we call the instruments, the hard instruments, not the HUD. The HUD can be very confusing when you're disoriented, especially if you're not in the correct mode, flight mode. You could be in an air-to-air mode where you're trying to, and there's very little information. So at this time, I transferred my cross-check to my uh, round dial indications. And unfortunately, I had gimbaled the ADI, which is the attitude indicator, which once you go past 65 degrees, nose low in the, uh, in the attitude indicator on, on the F-16, there's no more information with lines as far as horizon lines, because you're basically gimbaled it, you're now looking at the top of the ADI. So that was my first look. Now, having been a life support officer for many years, the first thing that came to my mind was, oh my goodness, I am pointed straight down. I'm passing 9,700 feet and I do not know which way to point or orient the tail in order to find up. And also I'm doing 600 knots. So the ground is coming up quick. It's, it's coming up very quick. So I immediately went into nine G's and I know um, that I need, um, I need, I needed to slow down because trying to punch out at that speed would probably result in, in fatal injuries. And since I, I was aware of that based on all my experience being a life support officer. So I knew I needed had to slow down. So I had to go right into nine G's of, of, of pull, which unfortunately for me, that nine G pull was not straight. So that's where we get into kind of the death spiral because I'm trying to get to lines. I don't have any visual references and at the time, I wasn't able to process the attitude indicator to determine whether or not where was the quickest direction to up. So that rapidly wound down 8,000, 7,000, 6,000, which is our uncontrolled bailout altitude. And the details I get into more in the book about this. But once I hit 6,000 feet, I entered that cloud layer. And when I entered that cloud layer, the visuals started to come back. So I figured, okay, that's also our uncontrolled bailout altitude. If we don't have control of the airplane, we're supposed to get out. Unfortunately, I was still almost 500 knots, still too fast. So it was going to be near fatal. So I said, I, I've still got to slow down and maybe I can catch a horizon. Cause if I catch a horizon, I can fix this problem quickly just by looking outside. Unfortunately, that didn't manifest. Uh, and of course, I came off the outside back to the instruments. I was passing about 4,500 feet. And then I did see the lines quickly established. I was rolling to the right, made a quick correction to the left, tried to manage the situation quickly. 
and determine right side up or upside down. But before I could complete that process, I was rapidly approaching 2000 feet and had to eject at 350 knots. And um, that was about, I left the airplane at about a thousand feet of altitude. Let's talk a little bit about the ejection when we come back after the break. We'll be right back with former F-16 pilot and combat veteran, Peter Smith. We're talking about lessons learned while trying to navigate spatial disorientation in an F-16, traveling at 400 miles per hour in a death spiral. Remember, you can now listen to our Saturday broadcast on iHeartRadio or afterwards, anywhere, anytime by subscribing to our podcast at TheMentorsRadio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org oathbook.org. Here at Mentors Radio, we've been working hard to help you succeed in every way possible. That's why we're proud to let you know about our newest find, BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com links you to a credit processing company, Cornerstone Payment Systems, that truly shares your ethical values and that can give you lower rates immediately. They don't just say it, they prove it to you. Their commitment to ethical behavior is rock solid. For example, unlike most other credit processing companies, something you may not have known before, Cornerstone refuses to process any porn-related business. They're not newbies either. The company we recommend has more than 50 years experience and provides 24-7 in-house support. See what they can do for you today. Go to BetterCreditDeal.com. That's BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com. We're hiring. The team at KMLPC is looking for savvy CPAs, accountants, and bookkeepers who love working with nonprofits. KMLPC consistently supports and protects our clients' vital interests, offering a wide variety of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance if desired. Because KMLPC prioritizes digital integration, our team of exceptional staff may work remotely with ease. If you are a CPA, accountant, or bookkeeper looking for more business, meaningful work, and a great team who puts people first and who thrives on working with nonprofits, please send an email to jobs at kml-pc.com. That's jobs at kml-pc.com. We look forward to meeting you. Remember, send us an email at jobs at kml-pc.com or click our ad under the sponsor section of the mentorsradio.com. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy. Our guest mentor today is retired U.S. Air Force Reserve fighter and combat veteran, Lieutenant Peter Smith. We're discussing what uh, Peter feels are three virtues and seven habits that contributed to his survival from the crash of his F-16 over the Gulf of Mexico. So you were telling us about everything up to the point when you had yeah. to pull the trigger. Yeah, I had to, I, that, right. I, I, it was happening so fast and I, I, there was no way I was going to be able to last ditch solve the problem based on the altitude I had remaining. And I would, the altimeter was winding down so quickly. I knew that 2000 feet was going to have to be my limit for solving the problem. So when I saw 2000 coming up rapidly, I decided to hand it over to uh, the ejection seat and that I pulled the ejection handles and I saw quickly 2000, 1000, and I thought I was too late. It was so rapidly unwinding that I thought I was too late. 
and so I didn't really know that, you know, as far as pulling the handle and the ejection, the orange flame and then the, uh, the, the violence of the ejection itself was whether I was actually impacting the water or actually ejecting, uh, which was kind of an interesting phase of this whole incident. But uh, fortunately, a few seconds later, I found myself alive in parachute and on my way into the water. So <laughs> it worked out. Thank God. So this, all of this, when you pulled that uh, ejection sheet, when you pulled the lever, mm-hmm. what you had about less than a second left, right? Yeah, it was less than point. It was a 0. 0.87, 0. 0.8 tenths of a second left to live. Basically, um, I left the plane at about a thousand and forty feet. So within about eight tenths of a second later, I would have been out of the ejection envelope, and I would have impacted the water. That's correct. In a parachute, I mean, without a parachute, basically. So you have quite a story about the uh, recovery. The Navy came out and got you. We don't have time for that, but that's in the book as well. Yes. And also there's a podcast that gets into a lot more detail on the accident. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's the name of that podcast? We're going to post it on the website, but you're it's another yeah. Air Force guy that did the podcast. Yeah, Movers with Monday. Uh, Mondays with Movers, what the uh, podcast is called, Mondays with Mover. And Mover and I used to fly F-16s together. And, and uh, he approached me last year and asked if he could interview me on what happened with my ejection. And, and it goes into a lot more detail than we're right. able to do here. It's called 0.8 Seconds to Live Stinky's. That's my call sign at the time. Uh, Stinky's Ejection Story. And it's on YouTube. Yeah. Now, when you pulled the uh, ejection lever, uh, you mentioned about the euphoria. You sp- you were prepared to die. Or you f- thought you were going to die, and you talked right. about the euphoria. So talk very quickly about that, because I want to get into the lessons learned. Okay, well, the euphoria, I mean, when you give it up, when you hand over control to the universe, basically, that's it. You know, so uh, the euphoria that I experienced was just... It was just a real pleasant, relaxed, you know, uh, almost a, you know, I had an excellent life and, you know, gratitude moment. And I just knew in that moment, everything was going to be okay. And, you know, the movie Real of Life sort of was playing out. And I mean, more details about that in the book, but you can kind of get the, the picture. And it was just, it made me not have any fear of death in the future at all. It was just, uh, it was kind of a really blissful experience, to tell you the truth. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. I'm with former United States Air Force fighter pilot and author of Icarus 2.0, Lieutenant Peter Smith. So you uh, had this blissful feeling, and you also mentioned to me that as you reflected on your life, the one thing that you were reflecting on is relationships and throughout the, the relationships, which were positive. And this echoes a theme that a previous guest, uh, Jim Lair talked about as we get older, how people reflect on those relationships in life. And while you were certainly in this uh, catastrophic situation, apparently uh, that's the one thing that came to mind. Yes. Relationships were the only thing that came to mind throughout the entire experience. There's about nine seconds between recognition of my problem to having to actually punch out of the airplane to solve it. And during that time period, it was nothing, the, the movie reel that was playing was all the relationship in my life, basically. And it was all, you know, it, nothing about material, nothing about accomplishments, achievements, or any of that. It was all relationship oriented, family, friends, that kind of thing. So. Now, you survived this. And, and mm-hmm. as I said, there's a lot more about the recovery and everything with the Navy and the book. Mm-hmm. But if you survive this, you've got kids in school, uh, you write something and put it away for your children. What was that? Yeah, that was my, um, I wrote to my kids a little handout just because, you know, kids, and, and I wanted to just put it away for my kids and my wife. And I kind of wanted to find one word for my kids. And I use, I, I describe the word as incentives because it's universal and motivation to go do something with their lives. And I try to attach a, like a lesson learned to each letter of the word incentives. And I did, I wrote something down from dad and it was, you know, nine seconds to impact three seconds, 0.8 seconds to live, you know, dad's lessons learned incentives for finding your way. And I just put it away and shelved it and said, honey, if anything happens to me, cause I'm going to keep serving, you know, take this out, give it to the kids. Cause at the time my kids were very young and um, 
you know, I, if I wasn't going to be there to guide them, kind of a council of dads type of, uh, 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 of approach, take this out because this is dad's advice, essentially. And I shelved it. And uh, that's kind of but you where came this back to kind it. of developed. Say again? You came back to it. I came back to it. Yeah. I, COVID kind of inspired me to come back to it. Um, you know, this, the isolation, the fact that kids weren't going to be getting as much interaction. And I, I decided to start a website because I was seeing a lot of guidance counseling. Uh, you know, we, we weren't doing as much with that as we used to in the past. Uh, you know, there were up, up to about 455 students per guidance counselor. I was helping a lot of kids while I was launching my teenagers. And just seeing that it was the resources, there were, just weren't a whole lot of resources. And now that COVID hit, I was concerned that there weren't going to be any resources for these kids getting ready to launch from high school to go to on to trade schools, colleges, whatever it is they decide to do with their lives. And they weren't getting a whole lot of human mentoring or, or interaction. And I thought maybe I could help out with that a little bit. So you go on and you uh, write the book. Uh, you get very concerned about what's going on in the schools. You see that the ratio of counselors to high school students is a very uh, uh, unfortunate ratio with a very high number of students for each counselor. Mm -hmm. And uh, you had the opportunity to go to a private school. I did too. And in there, we almost had one-on-one -on -one counseling. If a counselor had 10, 10 kids, it was a lot. Uh, so that's one of the gaps that you saw and you wrote this book. Now, mm -hmm. You got a lot packed into the book about what you're talking to the kids about and to their fathers and uh, and uh, the family. And uh, we don't have time to cover everything, but there's the Buddha loop. We talk about the create checklist. I think I'm going to jump to the uh, create checklist. And I want you to start with uh, a term uh, stinky thinking. And we're going to come back after the break and get into stinking thinking and what those seven habits and the four virtues have to do with that. So uh, we will be back after the break with Lieutenant Colonel Peter Smith. And we're talking about lessons learned from surviving a crash in the Gulf of Mexico. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly. But we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of bulletproof founder Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. feelgreat.vip to learn more. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. Our guest mentor today is retired U.S. Air Force Reserve fighter pilot and combat veteran, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Smith. Today, we're discussing what Peter feels are the three key virtues and seven habits that contributed to his survival from the crash of his F-16 over the Gulf of Mexico. So now we're into uh, stinky thinking. 
tell us about thinking because that gets into well, a couple of things. Clarity is one. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should start just say create and what the acronym create stands for. Then let's dive into the stinky thinking. Okay, well, sure. I mean, actually, stinky stinky thinking kind of came first. I created a website called Combating Stinky Thinking for Kids to try to reference. I had little blogs on on trying to eliminate some of the oh my grades stink. I'll, I'll never get into college. Those types of stinky thinking thoughts, limiting doubts, uncertainties, imperfections. And I started there. And essentially that made me try to, how am I, I want to frame this into something, uh, a manual or a checklist for these kids to, to develop the skills to overcome stinky thinking. So the create checklist is all about that. So, uh, you know, the, the idea is for these kids to create a life for themselves outside of high school and launch and build game plans for themselves, launching game plans. So I started out with clarity because clarity is the first thing uh, we all talk about clarity and we hear people and gurus talk about clarity, but we don't really talk about a process for discovering it. And that's where the Buddha loop comes in too. And that's one of the things we learned in uh, basic fighter maneuvers is um, uh, observe, orient, decide, and act. And it's, it's out there. It's a John, John Boyd came out with it and it's a, a tactical way of approaching uh, a, a dogfight. And I added the B in there just because today kids are so distracted. Okay, so the idea is, you know, I want the kids to show up in their classroom, be present, remove the distractions, be observant, orient, decide and act. And it's a process. You get more into detail in the book on terms of how to really apply the Buddha loop. So that's the clarity piece. We talk about clarity first. Then the next thing I talk about with the kids is relationships. Relationships are critically important to developing your path and how you want to go, because you need to talk to been there, done that resources in order for you to develop your game plan. So that's the relationship part. The next part I talked about is emotional intelligence. So C-R-E-E is the emotional intelligence. And that's where the incentives comes in. That's the spiritual before the material development piece, kind of developing the character, building the character strength to get through um, this, these loops, these iterations of doing the loop. So it's uh, once we get with, done with the emotional intelligence piece, you got your three virtues and seven habits embedded in there. Then we talk about adding value and what that means as a young adult, tenacity, and then enthusiasm. So that's the checklist. And then these elements of the checklist I go into, the meat of it is in the emotional intelligence piece and building that because I think that's a vital component that kids aren't really getting in school. You know, we're not really teaching them this emotional intelligence piece um, that I think is very important for their development and, and discovering their game plans in life. So. So the um, just so we don't lose lose it here mm-hmm. on the virtues, it's integrity, commitment, and example. We won't get into the details yep. of those. I want to spend a little more time on the the seven habits. Uh, mm-hmm. You have number one. Well, I'm going to go through the list, and I'll come back. You get no ego, navigate triple times, inform yourself, visualize, and humor. Some of yeah. them I think are self-evident. Yeah. Tell us what you, I mean, no, I imagine that's saying no to something. Saying, yeah. Prioritization. That's what that is. Prioritization. And, and then ego. That. Tell me what ego means. Ego, good, bad, and ugly egos. Essentially, you know, you can surround yourself with uh, the idea being to, to understand when you're, you're being, you're surrounding yourselves with people that have good egos bad egos or ugly egos and i get into kind of the difference in the nuances of you know how do you know when you're around somebody that's kind of you know probably not going to help you know support you to to become the best version of yourself and that's kind of what the whole ego piece is about and there's more details than that and 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 the good bad and the ugly inside the book and triple times triple times is time to think time to time to train time to think and time to thank uh, that's why I call it the triple times time to think we all need time to think. And that's, that's, that's undistracted time, Tom, that's what I'm talking about. Cause we're always connected to the phones, always looking at our phones. You need some time to push away from that stuff, take a walk out of nature and kind of, you know, critically think about some of these, some things for yourself and not always just trying to, um, uh, defer to the experts or defer to your parents or defer to, uh, your colleagues or your peers time to think for yourself time to train is anything that's worth doing is worth doing is worth doing the training to get better for uh that's kind of what that piece is about i mean we don't we don't achieve um 
skill sets unless we're willing to train for those skill sets. And I think that's a piece that we're learning because we're, we become very impatient. A lot of kids, it's, it's in, we're in a, an instant gratifying mentality culturally these days. And I don't, I think we're kind of losing, we're distancing ourselves from the fact that, you know, becoming good at something takes time. It takes time. Um, and we have to be willing to put in that time in order to get better. And then of course, time to thank is the idea of, look, respect and gratitude. Our teachers do such an amazing job. Our educators do. They're putting in the time and the effort to give you, um, to mentor you and bring you along and, and inspire you. We ought to be respectful and give them uh, the gratitude of that and be, be, be cognizant of that gratitude element. It's important. So your work uh, writing and sharing all of this has led to another opportunity. And I want you to talk about that. we got a couple of minutes left in this segment. The Council of Fathers or the Council of Dads. Tell us, tell us about that, Why, how it was organized. Uh, I know they founded one down in South Florida where you live. And what do they do? Uh, Council of Dads, you know what? I, I, now the author's name is accepted. He wrote the book originally, but originally he was Filer. given it. Filer. Filer, that's correct. Filer, right. Filer. So he wrote the book. He was given a, uh, look like to be a terminal uh, cancer diagnosis. And essentially what he was looking to do, if you read the Council of Dads or are familiar with it, he was trying to surround um, his daughters with, a, with dads that would be able to give his kids good advice in his absence when, if, um, if in fact he didn't survive his, his cancer. So from that, I think developed some chapters of Council of Dads that do the same thing. And for instance, uh, where I'm, where I currently live in Wellington, we have a council of um, dads, and it was started by uh, John Sittomer, and he received also a cancer diagnosis. And essentially, what John did is he has a daughter and a son. Was the idea was to um, he wanted to do the same thing, surround himself with good, surround his kids with good guidance, so that when they met certain stages of life or certain obstacles in life, they had some mentors to bounce these trials and tribulations off of people that he respected people that he that were like-minded that kind of thing that's that that was the the goal i think and they're very active in the community aren't they they've got a basketball yeah very active in the community we have um our council of dads is is oriented around a basketball team uh wellington bulls essentially it's about 180 kids a lot of these kids uh are uh you, you know come they they have financial needs and 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 the council helps out with mentoring, uh, SAT, uh, we do SAT tutoring, uh, we give, we, we do shoe collections and food drives and things like this. A lot of volunteering, a lot of uh, uh, mentoring help, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's an excellent basketball team, but it's, it's oriented around sports and mentorship and getting these kids launched, basically. Well, let's, so we're going to, we got one segment left and we're going to do a little summary, uh, but that sounds like a great topic for a future show. So we're going to be, be back uh, shortly with uh, former F-16 pilot and combat veteran Peter Smith. You will find all of our show notes and links at thementorsradio.com, including a link to uh, Peter's uh, website. When you're there, make sure you subscribe so you can not miss any shows. This is Tom Roy, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Nauer. I'm a certified business and life coach, helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance 6, money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to Balance 6, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel, and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. 
Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org. Oathbook.org. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy. Our guest today is former F-16 pilot and combat veteran, Lieutenant Peter Smith. And we're talking about lessons learned from his F-16 crashing into the Gulf of Mexico. So as a little bit of a, as we, this is the last segment, a couple of points I want to make is number one, John F. Kennedy Jr. suffered from spatial disorientation. And that's what mm-hmm. led to the crash of his plane, which a lot of people may remember. I just want to yeah. make that point. The um, other thing I want to note is you've got uh, other family members that are in the uh, Air Force. Tell us just briefly about your other two family members. Oh, yeah. My brother is uh, currently uh, at the Pentagon, and we flew together uh, in the same squadron uh, before. And we've actually been over to um, Operation uh, Iraqi freedom together uh, and operation enduring freedom in Afghanistan together as well. And I have a daughter who's a engineer in our air force uh, for special ops as well. Lieutenant, <laughs> our service. She's a yes. first lieutenant, right? First lieutenant. Correct. Mm-hmm. And she's mm-hmm. a graduate of the university of Florida. Correct. And you're a graduate of the U.S. US I'm going to come, kind of cover some of your stuff quickly. You're yeah. a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy. Right. Uh, you do fly commercial as a captain for a major international carrier. Uh, yes. You come from a family of athletes. You've got 27 years of flying. How many hours of flying have you got? Oh, uh, 4,000 hours in the Air Force and then probably a good 12,000 in commercial aviation, somewhere in that range. I stopped keeping track. <laughs> I know you have, a, and we're talked about it, you've got a very strong interest in helping high school students. And you've got yeah. four children all together. You've got one still at home, and you've Correct. got one yeah. at Florida State University, and one has graduated and just started a job uh, down in South Florida in the sales area. Right. I have a question. Uh, so you, you survived the crash. How long did it take you to get back into the cockpit? Uh, incredible support. We have a safety and accident investigation, accident invest- investigation after that. And the Air Force was uh, very, so, extremely supportive, extremely supportive, knowing that, uh, you know, nothing I did was uh, outside of regulations or or malfeasance or anything like that. Once that was determined that it was in, indeed an, an incident and accident, they, they, they got me the training to get right back up in the saddle and, and off, off to the race. It was about 39 days. I had some injuries associated with the, uh, with the accident that had to, uh, I had to finish rehab for uh, back knee injury type of thing. And once that was over with, I was, I was flying again with the great support of the leadership uh, in my squadron and, uh, and, and the air force in general. So, 
He had great support from your wonderful wife. I know. Yes, that. my wife. We want to make sure here. good old yeah. Terry gets a mention yeah, here. Yeah, Terry is, I mean, she's a solid rock in this whole thing. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, she's an amazing and, and woman. Whatever happened to the plane? Oh, well, they, they removed what they needed to remove, and then it became an artificial reef after that. And did the they Gulf garnish Michigan. your wages? No. <laughs> no. I mean, no. That, Fortunately, that, no. But this is hopefully my way to get back. I don't know if I'll ever get to the, the, the cost amount, but uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to give some something back. The uh, I mean, that plane is what, about 30, 35 million dollars? And I've made no, more now. No, 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 this is we're not into the, the fifth generation stuff, Tom. We're, we're still in the fourth generation old guys. So F-16, about 20 million dollars, unfortunately. And uh, F-35, which your brother uh, helped usher into the United States is what, 100 million dollars? Some about 80, I think. I think it's about 80 million a copy for that thing. Yeah. Well, you've had a great career, uh, interesting oh, life for sure. And the fact that you're shifting gears and doing this thing with high school counseling is terrific. It's certainly needed. And it's a great way to mentor your perfect guest for the show. Mm. Um, so what is it that uh, you do outside of flying? Outs Real quick, we got uh, just a short, I think one minute left. Outside of flying in terms of, uh, well, the mentoring thing, the Council of Dads, and, with, and then, of course, my kids' sports, uh, Wellington Wahoos. I'm involved with the board of directors, uh, the board on the, the team, helping out run swim meets and that kind of thing. So uh, beyond that, I'm just uh, enjoying, you know, enjoying life, Tom, you know, just uh, flying when I can and, and, and making the most of it that I got well, left. Well, great. Well, thank you for joining us, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Smith retired. Thanks again for your service to this country. And we're going to be posting links to his book, Icarus 2.0, uh, and to his website and to the other website that did another interview in greater detail about the crash and the uh, recovery. So when you're at our website, which is thementorsradio.com, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Remember, you can also listen to us online, any device, anytime by going to thementorsradio.com or any podcast platform. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember, be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>